Okay, folks, we're getting ready to start um, part four, the stockade. In the last chapter, uh, Jim Hawkins was on the sneaked on the island, uh, met Ben Gunn, and Ben Gunn knows where the treasure is. He wants to make a deal with Dr. Livesey so he can at least get some of them, not Dr. Livesey, Squire Trelawney, get some of the money and be able to get back home. And he really wants to eat some cheese. Chapter 16. The narrative continued by the doctor. How the ship was abandoned. It was a, So now, okay, Jim Hawkins has always told the story. Now the doctor, Livesey, is going to tell the story. It was about half past one, three bells in the sea, sea language, that the two boats went ashore from the Hispaniola. Captain, the squire, and I, that's the, the doctor, were talking matters over in the captain. Had there been a breath of wind, we should have captured, fallen upon the six mutineers who were left aboard with us, slipped our cable away to sea. But the wind was not blowing, and to complete our helplessness, down came Hunter with the news that Jim Hawkins had slipped into the boat and was gone ashore with the rest. It never occurred to us to doubt Jim Hawkins, but we were alarmed for his safety. With the men and the bad mood they were in, it seemed an even chance if we should ever see the lad again. We ran out on the deck. The pitch, that's the tar that was used to seal the boards on the ship, was bubbling. The nasty stench of the island turned me sick. If ever a man smelt disease, it was in that harbor off that island. The six scoundrels were sitting grumbling under a sail in the front of the ship. Ashore, we could see the boats made fast and a man sitting in each, hard by where the river runs in. One of them was whistling a song. Waiting was a strain, and it was decided that Hunter and I should go ashore with this, another boat in a quest of information. The boats had leaned to their right, but Hunter and I pulled straight in, in the direction of the stockade upon the chart. The two who were left guarding their boats seemed in a upset at our appearance and the song they were whistling dropped off and I could see the pair discussing what they should do. Had they gone and told Long John Silver, all might have turned out differently, but they had their orders, I suppose, and decided to sit, sit quietly where they were and go back again to whistling their tune. There was a slight bend in the coast and I steered so as to put it in between us. Even before we landed, we thus lost sight of the two pirates and their boats. I jumped out and came as running near as I could with a big silk handkerchief under my hat for coolness and a pair of pistols primed and ready to fight. I had not gone a hundred yards when I reached the fort, the stockade. This was how it was. A spring of clear water rose almost at the top of a hill. Well, on the hill and enclosing the spring, they had built a log house to hold about 40 people in a pinch and loopholed. That means holes in the walls for muskets on either side. All around this place, they cleared a wide space, and then the thing was completed about six feet high without a door or an opening, too strong to pull down without time and labor, and too open to shelter anyone hiding. The people in the log house had them every way. They stood quiet in the shelter and shot others like partridges. All they wanted was a good watch and food for a short of complete surprise. They might have held the place against a regiment. 
What particularly took my fancy was the spring of water, for though we had a good enough place of it in the cabin of the Hispaniola, with plenty of arms, ammunition, and things to eat, and excellent wine, there was one thing that we did not have. We had no water. I was thinking this thing over and over when there came a ringing over the island, the cry of a man at the point of death. I was not new to violent death. I had served in the army under the Duke of Cumberland and got wounded myself in a battle. But I know my pulse went flat and Jim Hawkins is gone, was my first thought. They killed poor Jim. It was something to have been an old soldier, but more still to have been a doctor. There's no time to waste in our work. And so now I made up my mind instantly with no time lost, returned to shore, jumped on board the boat. By good fortune, Hunter pulled a fast oar. We made the water fly and the boat was soon alongside and I was on the Hispaniola. I found them all shaken as was natural. The squire was sitting down as white as a sheet, thinking of the harm he had led us into the poor soul and one of the six pirates was a little better there's a man says captain smollett nodding towards him new to his work he came near fainting doctor when he heard the cry another touch of the rudder and that man would have joined us i told my plan to the captain and between us we settled on the deals details of its accomplishment we put the old gamekeeper, Redruth, in the gallery between the cabin and the front of the ship with three or four loaded muskets and a mattress for protection. Hunter brought the boat around under the back of the boat, and Joyce and I set to work loading her with powder tins, muskets, bags of biscuits, kegs of pork, a cask of wine, and my medicine chest. In the meantime, the squire and the captain stayed on deck, and the last one hailed the coxswain, who was the principal man aboard. Mr. Hands, he said. Here are two of us with a brace of pistols each. If any one of you six make a signal of any description, that man is dead. Well, they were a good deal taken aback, and after a little consultation, one and all tumbled down the forward companion, thinking no doubt to take us on at the back of the ship. But when they saw Redruth waiting for them, they went about the ship at once, and a head popped down again on the deck. Down, you dog, cries the captain. Again, the head popped back again, and we heard no more for the time of these six very, very, very cowardly sailors. By this time, tumbling things in as they came, we had the boat as loaded as much as we dared. Joyce and I got out through the back, and we made for shore again as fast as the oars would take us. This second trip fairly aroused the watchers along the shore. The song was stopped again, and just before we lost sight of them behind the little point of land, one of them whipped ashore and disappeared. I had half a mind to change my plan and destroy their boats, but I feared that Silver and the others might be close at hand, and all might very well be lost for trying to do too much. We had soon touched land in the same place as before and set to supply the blockhouse. All three made the first journey, heavily loaded, and tossed our stores over the wall of the fort. Then leaving Joyce to guard them, one man to be sure, but with six muskets, Hunter and I returned with the boat and loaded ourselves again with supplies once more from the ship. So we proceeded without pausing to take a breath till the whole cargo was moved when the two servants took up their position in the blockhouse and I, with all my power, rode back to our ship, the Hispaniola. 
that we should have risked a second boatload seems more daring than it really was. They had the advantage of numbers, of course, but we had the advantage of weapons. Not one of the men ashore had a musket, and before they could get within range for pistol shooting, we flattered ourselves we should be able to give ourselves a good account and shoot at least six of them. The squire was waiting for me at the back window. All his faintness was gone from him. He caught the rope and made it fast, and we fell to loading the boat for our very lives. Pork and powder, biscuit was the cargo, and only a musket and a sword apiece for the squire and me and Redruth and the captain. The rest of that arms and gunpowder we dropped overboard in 40 feet of water and, and half the water so we could see the bright steel shining far below us in the sun on the clean sandy bottom. By this time, the tide was beginning to move out and the ship was swinging around. Voices were heard faintly calling in the direction of the boats from shore, and the and though this reassured us for Joyce and Hunter, who were well to the east, it warned us that we needed to be moving. Redruth retreated from his place in the gallery, dropped into the boat, which we then brought around to the ship for Captain Smollett. Now, men, said he, do you hear me? And there was no answer from the pirates on the ship. It's to you, Abraham Gray. It's to you I'm speaking. Still no reply. Gray, resumed Mr. Smollett, a little louder. I'm leaving this ship, and I order you to follow your captain. I know you are a good man at your heart, and I dare say not one of the lot of yous as bad as he makes out. I have my watch here in my hand, and I give you 30 seconds to join me, or you can stay with the pirates. There was a pause. Come on, my fine fellow, continued the captain. Don't hang so long in the ship. I'm risking my life and the lives of these good men every second. Well, there was a sound of a scuffle, a sound of blows, and out burst Abraham Gray with a knife cut on the side of his cheek, and he came running to the captain like a dog to the whistle. I'm with you, sir, he shouted, and the next moment he and the captain had dropped with us, and we had shoved off and moved away. We were clear out of the way of the ship, but we were not yet to our fort. And now we're ready for chapter 17.